Please note, some of the content in this podcast may bring up a strong emotional response. Please do what you need to to take care of yourself while you listen, and perhaps think of someone you could call for emotional support if necessary. Welcome to Remembering Resilience, a podcast by Native Americans on Native American resilience through and beyond trauma. My name is Susan Bolio, and I'm a citizen of the Red Lake Nation in northern Minnesota. I'm a mother of four and live in central Minnesota with my family. And I'm Brianna Matrius, an enrolled member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. I currently reside in the urban area, but I'm still very much connected to my hometown, which is in Pine County. Susan and I are colleagues on the American Indian Resource and Resiliency Team under Family Resilience through the University of Minnesota Extension. We first met in 2017. Our very first conversation was almost two hours long, sharing about our lives, trauma, healing, and our passion for supporting individual and collective healing in our tribal communities. Two years later, we became colleagues, working with tribes to understand how our collective history impacts us today, while creating opportunities to heal. Our friendship goes well beyond being colleagues, and it has been strengthened over the years through supporting each other on our own personal healing journeys and all the curveballs life can send. Susan and I are passionate about sharing the tools, practices, and wisdom that has been so powerful on our own healing journeys with others who are looking to generate healing for themselves, their families, and their communities. This is why we are excited to collaborate with FamilyWise on the next episodes of Remembering Resilience. These are important conversations to us because we believe reconnecting to Indigenous ways of knowing and being are critical to our individual and collective healing. This requires remembering and reintegrating our spirits, minds, emotions, and bodies, remembering that these parts of us are all connected and impact one another, and that we're a part of the larger whole within an interconnected ecosystem. When we are able to place ourselves back in right relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world, there is a profound release of energy for healing that occurs. Yes, and the irony is more scientific research is coming out all the time that supports traditional Indigenous worldviews and ways of knowing. Where once Indigenous worldviews and beliefs were regarded as primitive or inferior, they are now being recognized for the wisdom they carry. Everything from the mind-body connection to epigenetics to acknowledging the many symbiotic relationships we see in nature which supports the reality we share a deep interconnectedness to the realization that much of what makes up our physical bodies, including plants and animals, is actually stardust, that we really are all related. Although we love to talk about complex topics and interconnections, our goal is to help demystify them and make them more accessible to the general public, and our guest today does just that. This is Episode 7 in our Remembering Resilience series. In previous episodes, we looked at how historical trauma and epigenetics have impacted our communities, transmitting trauma into future generations, which show up as adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, today. But the individual and collective trauma we carry is just a part of our story. As Indigenous people, we carry great resilience and strength, also passed down through the generations. With opportunities today to heal beyond what may have been available to the last few generations, 
We have also highlighted in our series other Indigenous people who have done an incredible amount of personal healing and are giving back to their communities in powerful ways. For this and for the next few episodes, we invited Dr. Joe Tefer to join us for a conversation on healing. He's an integrative family physician, curandero, author, and speaker. I first met Dr. Tefer at the Meeting of the Minds event in Rochester, Minnesota back on November 1st, 2019. I was really impressed by the way he was able to describe complex body systems and medical jargon in a way that helped me understand how stress and trauma can literally get under our skin, even into our epigenetic code to create dis-ease in the mind and body. It is because of his deep knowledge as a medical doctor, as well as his work with Indigenous peoples across the Americas working with healing, that we invited him to be a guest for this series. Dr. Joe Tefer is Colombian-American but grew up in Arizona near the Diné Nation. While he was in medical school, Dr. Tefer had a personal experience with traditional Indigenous plant medicine for healing. These experiences were so profound for him that after medical school, he spent some time in Peru, South America, working as a doctor while also apprenticing as a curandero or a shaman. Dr. Tefer helped start a retreat center for healing using traditional indigenous plant medicines such as ayahuasca after completing his training in Peru. He then came back to Arizona and began working with the Diné elders on creating new opportunities for healing for their people and other indigenous people in North America. Although we have many questions, we want to start with the concept of healing. Here he is talking about healing and what he has seen in his experience as a medical doctor and curandero. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on the show. It's very nice to be here. Healing is a process. One of the things that I got from working with Amazonians, you know, basically Native Americans from South America, and then I think it resonates with a lot of Native American philosophy that I hear here, is that spirituality and health, like in traditional American culture, is the same thing. That spirituality and health are the same thing. That both of them end up being about being in right relationship, as they say, with yourself with your intimate loved ones, your community, your society, your ecosystem, and the universe. And then that's really what the nature of health is. That is the measure of health. And then that is also the spiritual path of growth. Maybe these illnesses that people are struggling with and, you know, trying to go to all the doctors and the psychologists and everything and not getting better from, some of them, at least from, let's say, the Shipibo perspective, the, the, the healers down there in the Amazon, it's like, well, that's an energetic problem. You know, you need, a, you need an approach that's going to address the energetic side of things. When Dr. Schaffer talks about the energetic aspect of trauma, it makes me wonder about all the chronic disease and mental health issues our Indigenous communities face. We have disproportionate rates of many diseases and mental health issues, including diabetes, heart disease, death by suicide, and substance use issues, just to name a few. 
We've talked about ACEs before in this podcast series and the long-term impact they can have on health and well-being. I just can't help but wonder with all of the chronic disease and mental illnesses we see in our Indigenous communities today, how much of that is related to unresolved trauma and the energy carried from that trauma, either from one's life experience or something passed on to them by their ancestors' unresolved trauma. Yeah, like how much of what we are facing individually and collectively in our Indigenous communities is an energetic or spiritual issue, which then makes me think about the importance of ceremonies for healing. That there are some things we carry that a Western medical doctor or therapist just isn't going to be able to address. Dr. Tafur goes on to talk about Western systems. That I think emotion is something that people can understand from a Western kind of context. That emotional trauma is, is a real thing that affects people. And that they're, if, they're, if they're honest with themselves, or maybe their just culture allows them to be open to that, they would understand also that, yeah, there's an energetic side to that, to those kind of exchanges that we feel we carry. And it's the kind of things that people uh, struggle to process, struggle to grieve, you know, struggle to, to work through. And so that's what my book is about, is about those, those uh, people with diagnoses like in this case, it was PTSD and anxiety and depression and, and that kind of stuff that we see uh, so many people going to these kind of forms of healing for, including, you know, PTSD from sexual abuse and so sexual trauma and how does that get dealt with and, and people being treated like those things are just uh, that they don't get better, you know, that that's just a chronic condition that will never heal. This seems to happen a lot in our communities where people are diagnosed with a chronic illness and the only option for them in Western medicine is to treat the symptoms with medications. I know when my dad was alive, he was a combat veteran who had PTSD, he struggled with depression, anxiety, chronic pain from several injuries, he had diabetes, and he had a heart attack in his early 50s. His medicine cabinet literally looked like a pharmacy and it took him hours just to get all his prescriptions put into his pillboxes for the week. Sometimes the prescriptions he took were to deal with the side effects from a different medication he was on. So what was driving much of his chronic disease, illness, and pain was actually never addressed. It was simply medicated and managed. Methods for healing are different in more traditional indigenous cultures. Dr. Tafur continues to talk about how the traditional indigenous view has a more holistic approach to health and well-being. And so then finding these traditional perspectives that say, no, actually, you know, we, we know how to address that. We have ways to address that. And the key to those ways is that we're going to kind of really get into the emotional content of what's going on. And we're also going to approach it from a spiritual perspective where we're going to be able to allow ourselves to, to transcend judgment, to create a safe place for people to be vulnerable and allow them, you know, to finish processing whatever it was that they need to finish processing. So, I mean, that's some of the stuff. And then what you were talking about, like, with the individual. So, yeah, in traditional healing, I mean, at least in my experience there, and I could say compared to my experience as a medical doctor, whereas when you're a medical doctor here, you know, one of the issues is that, well, people are kind of already burnt out on their society. They're burnt out on their job. And, you know, sometimes you need, people need compassion, you know, they need a little love to, to be able to get to a place where they can start moving in a direction. This idea of creating safe places in our communities for people to heal is really important, isn't it? Because unless we are safe and feel safe, we often remain in fight or flight or survival mode, which makes putting energy into healing a really difficult task. 
And when we say safety, we don't just mean physical safety, which is critical, of course, but it also includes emotional and mental safety. There is no shaming, no blaming. We're really seen and heard without judgment. We are loved and welcomed just for being ourselves. No conditions. Yeah, I can think of a few places offhand where spaces that are supposed to be safe for people to heal, but aren't. When we think about those spaces where we may work or places we visit frequently, we need to stop and really ask, is this space conducive for healing? Do people really feel safe here? Is what I'm bringing into this space helping or hurting? This is really important, and I think being responsible for the energy we bring into a space is really crucial. This is so true, and I look forward to hearing more from Dr. Tafer about the importance of individual responsibility as a part of healing as we continue our conversation. You're listening to Remembering Resilience, a podcast by Native Americans on Native American resilience through and beyond trauma. Today we are talking with Dr. Joe Tuffer, a medical doctor and curandero, sharing his perspectives on healing. Dr. Tuffer spent many years in Peru working with Shipibo healers using plant medicines, including ayahuasca, to facilitate healing for those seeking it. We will talk more in depth about ayahuasca in a later episode, but for a little context, ayahuasca is a plant medicine indigenous to the Amazon in South America. Ayahuasca is a tea or brew of two plants, the chacruna leaf, which has DMT, and the ayahuasca vine, which is an MAO inhibitor, or MAOI. DMT is a naturally occurring chemical compound found in many plants and some animals, and is also known as the spirit molecule. Ayahuasca is a psychedelic plant medicine used for healing by the indigenous communities in South America for centuries. Coming back to our conversation with Dr. Tafur, we want to better understand how he sees the role and responsibility of healing. We ask him to share more about how those roles and responsibilities differ based on his experience as a Western medical doctor versus what he saw when he apprenticed as a curandero in Peru with the Shipibo people. In the traditional healing setting, you can tell the person right away, like you're not even doing one little piece of what you're supposed to be doing and it's not going to work. And I saw the Shipibo Ricardo would do that with people all the time coming down to the Peru. Just as you see them kind of not really participating, not doing their. So there's just, a, there's a deeper honesty about that piece, you know, that, that is available in traditional healing where it's not so much about the business of it all, but are we going to get somewhere or are we not going to get somewhere? So there's a lot of individual responsibility in traditional healing. I think there's, there is across the board in any healing, there's, there's independent responsibility, individual responsibility. It just in some settings, we pretend that there's not, or we, we just look away and we just kind of keep going. This brings to mind how in the United States, it seems the expectation is that a pill or doctor will fix us without us putting in any work ourselves. If I get heartburn, there's a pill for that. High blood pressure, there's a pill for that too. No need to make any lifestyle changes, just take a prescription or get a surgery. Having done ceremonies before, I've always been told the plant medicine will do 50% of the work, but I have to do the other 50%. Imagine a doctor telling us that, hey, I can fix you 50% of the way, but you'll have to put in the other 50%. The individual responsibility piece can't be understated for sure, and yet in my own work and journey, that supportive community piece has also been essential. 
we asked Dr. Tafur about his perspective on the role of community in facilitating healing. So the community, you know, traditional healing techniques and stuff uh, evolved and are from community spaces and community networks. And so for us, where we work with people with, let's say, ayahuasca down in Peru, where, yes, there's no question that people are going to need a lot of support after that. And so traditionally, like the, the healers that we're working with, well, they're, they're treating their families and they're treating their friends and their community members. And so, yes, they're all going to see each other tomorrow and the next day and next week and two weeks. So they're going to be dealing with each other and they're going to be connected to this context. So it's extremely important that people have support. Traditionally, that support is available because these people live together more closer to a village type of setting. So you need to have that plugged in. You need people need to have access to a social support that's going to help them if they're going to really get results. There are the few people that will get what they need and, and move on, but a lot of them won't move forward. So you have examples like here for the Diné, my friends, you know, when they go through ceremony, not, not necessarily a plant medicine ceremony, but a traditional healing ceremony, right, with no psychedelics or anything. And then there's a, maybe a seven-day process where that person needs to be treated like a holy person. You know, they know they're not going to do this and they're not going to do that because there's a recognition that for that kind of work to settle into the person, that there's going to need to be some space and some support for that to happen. The reality of the way the community is going to receive and respond people going through big uh, energetic processes, including healing processes, is, is very important. This is so beautiful because he's talking about a recognition of the interconnection between the individual and collective that energetic string that attaches us all. The community recognizes if they hold space for me to do my healing, the more healing energy I'll bring back to the community, which then benefits the larger community healing. Then, of course, the more the community heals, the more I heal individually, because that good, supportive healing energy is being shared back with me. It becomes a powerful cycle of reciprocity that all hinges on the recognition that we are interconnected. Yes, the interconnection and balance, right? Because we can be connected, and even if we both know we are connected, if our relationship isn't balanced, then we are going to have problems. If you take too much, or I give too much, then there is going to be an imbalance, and the relationship will not be healthy. So with the interconnection of individual and collective or community, there must also be a balance where individuals in the community are looking to heal, while the community is providing safe and healthy opportunities for healing. Right. So circling back to the Diné community and how they treat an individual who attended a ceremony as a holy person for seven days, the community is providing a space for that person to integrate what they learned in ceremony into all the parts of their being, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. When we have space to integrate in this way, we retain the learning and then we are better able to hold space for others in the community to do their healing work, which supports the larger community. A beautiful example of healthy reciprocity. You are listening to Remembering Resilience, a podcast by Native Americans on Native American resilience through and beyond trauma. We've been talking with Dr. Tafur about different aspects of healing, including the role and responsibility of the individual and community in the healing process.
Dr. Tafur was sharing the importance of recognizing how a community receives and responds to an individual going through a big energetic process or healing. And I really appreciated him contextualizing this being an energetic process because from what I've seen and experienced, it's one of those realities we are often disconnected from in the Western society. And because of historical trauma, even some of our own indigenous people have lost that felt sense of how everything is energy and everything is interconnected. And we've fallen into the trap of believing there's a separate physical body and there's a separate mental self and there's a separate emotional self, if we even acknowledge our emotional side at all. And so many of us have forgotten that we are first spiritual beings that happen to be in a physical body. Since I've heard Dr. Tafur before about how all of these parts of ourselves are connected to one another, the physical body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, the mental body, with good science to support this reality, I asked him to talk a little bit about this interconnection. On my way to getting into that, I just want to say that I think that that separation has to do with, at a societal level, as an academic level, for me, it really reflects like what it comes down to is just it's just a lack of sacred spaces where people can go into safely and be vulnerable and work through what they need to work through, work through their feelings. Because anybody that has that, anybody that's given that opportunity, they understand. That's pretty much every time in my experience, including high-end academics, high-end surgeons, whatever. Like this separation to me is trauma-related. The separation is about, I don't want to go there. We're not going to go there. So let's just talk about the molecules and let's talk about that. But I-, I love how Dr. Tafur talks about some people being so in their head. I'll admit, I have lived in my head most of my life. Even though I felt emotions deeply, connecting with others and expressing them in healthy ways was a pretty foreign concept for me. It wasn't anything that was ever modeled. Instead, growing up, I got kudos and found safety in expressing my thoughts and ideas, reinforcing feeling more comfortable in my head than in my heart. Right. And some of us tend to be in our head because that's what is comfortable for us. And also, in general, here in the U.S., people aren't asked to bring their emotions to work. Our emotions aren't what's valued. What is valued is what we can bring to the work intellectually. Therefore, many of us spend an awful lot of time in our heads. Like you said, Susan, we get rewarded and are respected because of it. So when we ask people who tend to live in their head, drop into their heart and emotions, well, that's a pretty foreign place for us to be, right? Absolutely. And we have to believe the benefit of changing and getting out of what's comfortable will outweigh the cost of staying where it's comfortable. Given we are humans and we like comfort, that seems like a tall task in a society that values thinking over feeling. I mean, think about all throughout our school years. What did they test us on? Our emotional intelligence or EQ or our IQ? We were rewarded for being in our head and thinking logically, figuring things out through the scientific method. People get rewarded with good grades and scholarships and jobs and status for staying in their heads. I can't tell you how many times growing up I was told, you're too emotional, as a feeling was not a valid form of interacting. My emotions were not wanted, much less supported in school. Here's Dr. Tafur again. As an academic, as a thinking person, as a cerebral person, I'm not going to come up here and talk about my kids and my mom and dad and all the trouble at home and all that stuff. So like, we're not going to go there. And so that's why it's not relevant. And I respect that. And I have compassion for that. But I think it's important to say that, that there's not enough safe places for people to bring their problems where there is no judgment, 
where they are treated. And even in traditional settings, there's a lot of places where people are not treated safely. So the safety is key, that they can be there, they can be in a place where it's going to transcend judgment. They can really find a way to work through stuff. It's not going to be their community judging them and gossiping about them and all that kind of stuff. And that they're going to be able to process and heal in that space. Churches and things are supposed to do that for people, but so often they're not a, they are a judgmental space. So you can't achieve the spiritual healing we're talking about. I think this concept of having a safe place to do our healing is really critical. We often talk about and recognize the top-down oppression our communities experience, but we also end up engaging in lateral oppression where we oppress one another. But we don't talk about that as much. It's not uncommon in our communities for people to try to reconnect to the culture or language and to be shamed and judged by what we call the culture police for not knowing how to do things properly. When this happens, it can sour people or even turn them away from culture and language forever, which is really unfortunate because it is the language and culture that we find the answers to many of the questions we have today as Indigenous people. Yeah, this brings up another question for me. What is culture? Is it a set of practices and activities we do? Or is it the values and beliefs we bring to everything we do? Like, is culture going out and maple syruping and fishing and hunting? Or is it the values we have and the way in which we do something? As an Anishinaabe, the activities of fishing and gathering may be traditional activities my ancestors did, but if I deplete all of the fish from the lake or take all of the berries or sage in an area, the values don't align because I'm not showing respect to the fish or my plant and animal relatives. Likewise, if I participate in ceremonies but shame people for not knowing what to do in ceremony, then I'm not living the values of love or humility or respect, which are foundational to Anishinaabe culture and lifeways. So I actually end up going against my culture, even though what I'm doing is a cultural activity. So although this healing journey needs to be done by individuals, there's absolutely a role in how the community helps to create and hold the safe places for people to heal. For sure, our individual and collective healing is so interconnected, yet Western ways of understanding are far from accepting this reality. When we are working on our own healing, we reach out to create a community, a safe healing space to use. Whether it's people who do traditional ceremonies in our communities, a therapist, a meditation group, a church, a doctor, whatever it is we are reaching out to, we are creating community. However, if the community we reach out to isn't very healthy, it won't make our own healing that much more difficult. Remember the culture police? So having a balance is important. Yeah, right. Not all individuals in the community need to be healthy before we can start working on community well-being. And not every aspect of the community needs to be healthy before we can start addressing individual well-being. But we have to be willing to start and take the leap, doing the hard work of breaking those cycles that no longer serve us or our families or our communities. It is a both end, right? Exactly. We have to make the decision individually to do our healing work, and we need the support of community in some way, shape, or form in order to accelerate and enrich our individual healing. After all, our healing is inextricably connected to those in our community. Although our time with Dr. Tafur went really fast, I'm glad we have several more episodes with him lined up. In the next couple of episodes, we will go deeper into the differences between how Western and Indigenous communities view and deal with disease, as well as how stress and trauma affect our well-being, and much more. 
Miigwech to Dr. Tafur for his time, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Remembering Resilience. Gigawabamin Minoa. For more information on Dr. Tafur, you can check out his website at www.drjotafur.com, or you can check out his Modern Spirit podcast series at www.modernspirit.org. And you can find the full Remembering Resilience series at rememberingresilience.home.blog. Music during today's conversation is thanks to the Oshkegizik Singers. The Oshkegizik Singers are a community of Native American women singers from the Fond du Lac Duluth area. This podcast is developed through a health power project at Family Wise Services with support from the Center for Prevention at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota and the University of Minnesota Extension Family Resilience. You've heard our stories, our experiences, and now we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think in a brief survey by going to surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash podcast rr. When you fill out the survey, you will be entered into a drawing for a gift card to Birchbark Books, held monthly through 2022. That's surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash podcast rr. Chi miigwech.